Thanks everyone for tuning in. Our guest for today's show is Rush Karalawa. He's a SFSU alumni and currently a risk analyst at FAIR. He's going to be with us and talking through about his journey up until this point, what he's done at SFSU, what brought him to SFSU, and, and everything he's done afterwards. So just before we get started, I, I'm going to do a disclaimer that Rush and I are currently employed and the perspectives that we're sharing on this show are our own perspectives and not the perspectives of the companies that we work at. So Rush, I've known you for some time now. We met at SFSU, I think through the finance club that we were both part of fame when we were students and everything. But before we get into SFSU, do you want to just talk about where you're from, how you grew up, and everything that happened before you arrived at San Francisco State University? Yeah, definitely. So to talk a little bit about my upbringing, my name is Rush Karawala. I was born in Sacramento, California, and I moved to Union City when I was about two to three years old. I'm a first-generation American. My parents both came from India and have a Muslim upbringing. So definitely having that duality of religion, culture, along with being in the United States, definitely affected my perspective on life. Grew up and had a pretty great childhood. My mom was a school teacher, so I think when I was a little kid, she always definitely valued my early development, made sure that I was taking tough classes, made sure to challenge me, but also gave me the room to have fun, to be sociable, and to definitely network and connect with all different types of kids from different backgrounds. So fast forward to about early high school. This was a point where my parents unfortunately both got divorced for personal reasons. However, the effect that it had on me was at that time, growing up in a first-generation family, more often than not, your parents are pushing you. Although it's for your success in the long run, you're often doing it to impress them. So at that age, I had a coming-of-age experience where I pretty much had to figure out why I was doing the things that I was. I lost a lot of motivation to do well in school, to be in athletics. I started having this early life crisis on religion. I grew up in a Muslim household and then starting to realize why I was Muslim, why I was trying to become academically oriented. It took a two-year break in high school where my grades started to drop. I started to lose motivation. So fast forward to my senior year of high school, I think that's when I finally started to gain the confidence and realized that I needed to start doing things for myself. I needed to start motivating and wanting to succeed in life for myself and that it really wasn't going to be given to me by anyone else. And I couldn't do it anymore for a superficial reason of impressing my parents and getting validation. So although it definitely had a negative impact at the beginning of my life, I think without my parents getting divorced, it wouldn't have made me who I am today. And I really appreciate the perspectives that I was able to learn as a result of urgency. I have one older sister, her name's Amber, two years older than me. And this was definitely something that affected her as well, especially with the intersectionality of being both first generation, being a woman of color. Okay, thanks. So a lot of information there that you shared with us as far as just her upbringing and stuff and being in the United States, growing up here, but also having parents who are not from the US and everything too. And then all the intersectionality that you mentioned. So a couple things that I want to touch on before we get into SFSU and your decision to go there. So you mentioned that you kind of dropped out of a lot of different activities and everything. What were you involved in earlier on? So was it athletics? Like, were you involved in sports? And what type of sports were you into? And what was your motivation to participate in sports at the time? Was it because your parents wanted you to? Or what kept you going before you ended up losing all of your motivation? 
So to touch on this, one thing that my parents did at a very early age was made me try a myriad of different sports, different activities. This included swimming. This included playing the drums, playing the piano, tennis, basketball, as well as religious activities like participating in Sunday school, learning how to read and write Arabic, going to Quran study classes. So I think what they wanted was for me to pick from all the classes and all the activities that I was doing, two to three that I could really stick with. It can be pretty overwhelming, especially as a child when all you want to do is play video games or hang out with your friends. And I think the ones that I stuck to personally were tennis and drumming. And around the time that my parents got divorced, both activities require a lot of mental energy, especially with tennis. It's not like a team sport where you can rely on other people. A lot of the success and failure that happens in the sport is all dependent on you and your mindset, your focus, your level of confidence outside of the court directly impacts how you play within the court. I definitely started to see a drop in the way that I was playing tennis and the way that I was participating in other activities and my motivation to want to continue to learn drumming. And I think that was very tough for me because when you're a kid, you're not really understanding the external factors as to why you feel the way you do. You just know that these emotions and these feelings are valid. So that was what really made me have this shift in my mindset where once I started to realize that I needed to do things for myself, not for an external source of validation like family, but because I actually wanted to do it and maximize my own happiness, that's when I started to see change. And it's not something that just happens overnight. For instance, I started playing tennis again pretty seriously three or four months ago. So to put that in perspective, it took seven years for me to just want to start playing tennis again, just because of some of the memories that it brought up, uncomfortable memories that it brought up in high school. But I think that athletics, I think that music have always been things that I've been naturally interested in. And what I like about them is that they not only give you a pastime and a hobby to take your mind off of day-to-day life, it's a way for you to actually improve your interactions in the business world and within education. A good example of this is learning how to play a sport like tennis or a sport like basketball. One is a team sport and one is more of a single sport. So they both give you the aspect of team building, communication, leadership, while the other gives you the aspect of persistence and hard work. So another example would be for drumming. I think it really gave me a way to vent and learn how to express my vulnerability through music, which is super impactful. And that also helps in the business world because in order to network with people, in order to reach out, you need to develop a sense of vulnerability. And it's very hard to do at first because a lot of people think, oh, why would someone want to help me out? Why would someone want to listen to me? What do I have to bring to the table? Once you're able to eliminate that self-doubt is when you really start to see opportunities open up. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense and everything. And I know you mentioned your passions around these areas like athletics and music and everything too, and how they shift over into the business world and everything. So thinking about the business world, when did you know that you wanted to go into the business world too? Is that something that you knew early on as well? Something that was influenced by your parents? Or is this something that you learned later on once you got to San Francisco State? One of the things I'm very thankful for is my Parents never forced me to major in a particular field or subject. This is something I was able to develop on my own. I remember when I wanted to join the business world, it was in high school when I took my first economics class. I knew immediately just 
understanding the micro and macro trends. That was something that was very engaging, very stimulating for me. It then opened me up into researching about the financial markets, understanding the banking and tech world. And I think that's when I realized that I wanted to study either economics or finance when I went to college. I think combined with when I was playing sports as a kid, my favorite sport was always basketball. And I played the position of point guard, both for being the shortest guy on the team, but also from just being a natural leader. And it allowed me to develop these skills that made me understand how to move forward as a team, how to win, but also how to understand the needs, perspectives, and motivations of everyone else on that team. So I think combined with my love for economics and the leadership skills that I developed just by playing basketball, I think joining the business world was an obvious next step for me when it came to college. Okay, that makes a lot of sense. So going back to the situation that you were in in high school and you lost a lot of motivation after your parents divorced and stuff, sounds like you were living with your mother and then your father wasn't as involved. From there, how did you decide what path you wanted to go on and what were you going through at the time? How did you overcome that? And is this something that happened over time? It sounds like this is something that certain parts of you, you just let go of for a while and you didn't come back to it until later on. But how did you cope with it at the time and then ultimately end up deciding that you wanted to go to San Francisco State after your parents split up? I think for me, one of the biggest things that allowed me to put things into perspective and motivate me to pursue education further was developing a sense of community through friends. I think in high school, one of the best things that high school did for me is while I was not able to have the normal family dynamic that I had growing up, I was able to develop a sense of community, a sense of brotherhood, a sense of camaraderie between other friends in high school, other like-minded individuals with a similar background that kind of had a chip on their shoulder for other reasons. And that's what really pursued and motivated me to continue going to college. I think one of the hardest parts was I was always an intelligent kid, always had really good grades. And then after my parents got divorced, I stopped becoming academically oriented and my grades dropped significantly to the point where the schools that I would normally have been targeting, like a Berkeley or Stanford or UCLA, were pretty much out of the picture. It became a pretty depressing moment for me because at that moment, I already felt like I had failed. But I think one thing that really allowed me to become more stoic in my decision was to just realize that regardless of the hands that you've been dealt, you have to play your hand. And being in the Bay Area, having the privilege of growing up in the San Francisco Bay Area opens up so many opportunities. So when I started applying to colleges, rather than looking for a name or a title, I was really looking for location and opportunity. So when I started looking at the CSU system, I think San Francisco State stood out to me because it was a school that was in the city. It was something that was affordable. And it was also an institution that offered me a scholarship. So by basically having a full ride from San Francisco State, combined with the fact that I was in San Francisco. It was a great opportunity to network within the business or finance world. I think that's when I started to realize this is going to be the position for you. And regardless of whatever shame you have in the past of not getting into certain schools, you can move forward and make the best of your situation. That's great to hear and everything too. And that's awesome that you're able to utilize a full rights scholarship in order to get to San Francisco State. And then also to your point around having it close to the businesses that you were interested in, that makes a lot of sense. And so now you're at San Francisco State. What happens next? Freshman year at San Francisco State was kind of a blur. It was honestly a point in my life where I indulged in partying a lot. It was a way for me to kind of escape the family dynamic that I had in high school. 
But it was also a point that I don't regret because it was an area where I was allowed to learn about myself more, meet new friends from different backgrounds, network with different people, and really get this sense of peaceful healing that I really needed. It was until sophomore year when I really started to pursue a financial career and starting to get involved in extracurricular activities. I remember the first time that I learned about fame, which is the finance club on campus, was during a tabling event where I was just walking through the business building after one of my general ed classes. And they were talking about a investment fund and doing stock pitches. So that was really interesting to me because I remember winter on winter break, whenever I would go to like Thanksgiving or Christmas dinners with my family, they'd be like, oh, so Rush, what do you want to major in? And I would say finance. And they'd say, oh, like, can you tell us some stuff about the stock market? Or like, what do you think is good to invest in? And to be honest, I didn't know anything. At that point, really, my only knowledge was just based on my lower division general ed classes. So I think that's when I realized like, okay, this would be a great opportunity for me to learn about the stock market, to talk to other like-minded individuals, and then work on actually pitching stocks. So I think that was what actually got me into being interested in finance and learning about the finance world. Because as an economics student, or as an economics major, you get the macro side, but it's very hard to get the application side until you actually graduate or pursue higher education. So I think for me, fame was an amazing opportunity to get initial experience that I didn't have any, and then also see people who have made it across the finish line. And after joining the fame fund, where we would do stock pitches, it turned into leadership roles. So I started applying for different positions within Fame, because one thing that I really liked about Fame is that they would have weekly networking events where they would have panels of professionals within the finance industry who would not only answer questions for students, but provide them guidance and even job opportunities or internships. So that was a huge, huge move for me because once I started applying for leadership positions, I got, I think the role was director of alumni relations. It allowed me to connect with other FAME members who had graduated and who were successful in the finance industry. And that really motivated me to keep going to more events, to keep talking to panelists, to keep meeting new people. I think one of the things that a lot of college students get stuck in is when you ask them to join organizations or after school or extracurricular activities, they get in this mindset of, oh, what's in it for me? I can go meet and talk to these people. And if I don't get a internship offer, it's a waste of my time. The reality is you have to be exposed to different types of people. You have to be exposed to different types of perspectives in order to realize what you actually want. And the only way you can get these opportunities is by putting yourself out there and networking. So I think for me, it gave me this great reference experience to not fear failure, to not fear rejection, and to really be vulnerable about what you want and what you want to learn. That's great. And so once you got into fame, you're able to do these things. Did you know what you wanted to go into next? How did you determine what career path that you were going to take? Is it through the networking that you mentioned? Is it through any specific interaction? What was the turning point for you that made you decide that you wanted to go down the path that you did? This was something that was very tough because even as a finance major, there are a myriad of career paths you can go into. Some people go into banking, others go into consulting, some go into FP&A, others go into financial advisor roles, some move on to tech as a data analyst. So I think that was very overwhelming for me because it kind of gave me the paradox of choice where I had so many routes that I could pursue that it became kind of anxiety inducing. So one thing I knew is that I always wanted to find a career path that would allow me to learn the most. 
I remember one day the College of Business had just sent us an email. They would send emails to all the officers in the business clubs, basically about career opportunities that we could then send to our members. So I remember one of them was for the Wells Fargo Financial Analyst Program. When I had read about this program, I saw that it was definitely a pretty prestigious program to get into. There were very few San Francisco State students that got in. But what I loved is that it was a two-year program that gave you exposure to different aspects of finance, whether it be credit, whether it be capital markets, whether it be sales. So really, whatever I wanted to pursue further after getting a foundation was available to me. So that really convinced me to apply. I honestly did not think that I was going to hear anything back. But lo and behold, I got a call back for a phone interview. And I think the only reason that I was able to do that is because Fame had hosted a resume workshop, which really allowed me to turn a resume without any job experience into something that showed that I could provide value. I think that's one of the hardest parts is trying to get an internship which requires job experience when that internship itself is supposed to be the job experience you need. So what Fame allowed me to do was turn being an analyst in Fame Fund into something that could actually provide value to an institution. I think that's what Wells Fargo valued was that even though I didn't have relevant finance experience for another firm, I was able to show that I had done stock pitches. I understood baseline level about capital markets. So that turned into an interview. I remember the final round interview was in person in San Francisco. It was a series of four interviews with the last being a panel interview, 30 minutes long each for a total of two hours. There were 16 candidates for two positions, and I was the only kid from a state school. So I remember going in and just thinking, oh man, like there's no chance I'm getting this. You're going against Berkeley and Stanford kids who clearly are more knowledgeable than you. But I think when I went into those interviews, I had this attitude of, you know what, at this point, you really have nothing to lose. You have to give it your best shot. And surprisingly enough, I still don't understand why till date, but they gave me an offer to be an intern. And it was definitely one of the happiest days of my life, not because of the role itself, but because it was a reference experience that rewarded me for taking a risk, that rewarded me for being vulnerable and trying to get something that I thought was clearly out of my league. Okay, great. So it sounds like you got a great opportunity for the program at Wells Fargo. Did you have any previous experiences before that that you were able to leverage to receive the internship or the the job opportunity at Wells Fargo? Definitely. I think there were two that I was able to. So before that, when I was a freshman in college, I would just reach out to different companies on LinkedIn, seeing if they had opportunities for internships for an interested freshman. This one company called Terra Global Capital ended up responding and basically saying that although they didn't offer a paid internship, they were able to offer something that was unpaid. And being lucky enough to have been living at home at that time and having my family to support me, I was able to take that internship. And basically what Terra Global did is they're an environmental finance firm where they basically plan and facilitate projects either in local government, state government, or developing countries to reduce carbon emissions and deforestation. So my job for that entire summer was pretty much to source and find different private equity firms that were trying to get into the impact investment space because the way Terra Global would make money was by selling carbon credits that were reduced from projects that they facilitated. And then that's how they were able to generate revenue. So a lot of tech companies that try to go carbon neutral, instead of actually reducing their own emissions, they're investing in projects 
that net out the emissions they emit, and then they say they're carbon neutral. So other than funding from the U.S. government, it was my job to basically cold email and find different private equity firms that would be interested. So it was more of a sales role at the time than it really had to do with finance, but it was a great opportunity for me because it allowed me to learn about different types of industries, to be able to talk to different professionals, and then also hone in on skills that I learned at Fame. It's like while we were cold emailing professionals to come and talk to us, it became so much easier for me to cold email private equity firms because I already had the experience of doing it through Fame and through Fame Fund. So that was the one experience that I leveraged to get the Wells Fargo internship. And the other, funny enough, which I think actually helped a lot, was being a preschool teacher's assistant. So growing up, my mom ended up starting her own preschool around 2010, 2011. And during the summers for my summer break, I actually was a teacher's assistant. So I had gotten fingerprinted and licensed through Alameda County to work with kids. And this included preschoolers all the way to pre-K. Some kids lived around the Union City, Fremont, and Newark area. And others were brought in from the county that may have had ADHD, autism, or speech deficiency, and their parents didn't want to send them to a full-time school, but also didn't have the time or resources to homeschool them. So it was a great opportunity for me to work with kids in different backgrounds and really hone in on my communication skills and my empathy. So I think that was able to really translate well into an interview, which may have helped me get that internship role combined with prior experience at Terra Global. That's great. Sounds like you have a wide variety of experiences going in. You had your experience from being with your family and everything with your mother at the preschool, which taught you some of the skills that you needed in order to relate to and talk to people of different backgrounds. And also your Terra Globa internship, which you were able to get and apply that for the position at Wells Fargo. That makes sense. Was there any other resources or important activities that you participated in at San Francisco State before you went to Wells Fargo? Definitely. I think one of the biggest ones was Fame Holds an Investment Conference every single year in November. And that was great because it's a complete student-run investment conference. I think it's the largest one in the West Coast. And what we would do is we would have a series of panelists, about five panelists within different fields. I remember, I think we had one that was capital markets. We had one that was like private equity. We had one that was banking. And they would be moderated by SFSU professors, but we got to organize, network, recruit for the entire thing. So it was a great opportunity because not only kids from SF State showed up, but kids from universities around Northern California would show up. So it was a great way to network, to meet other people, and to also get experience leading and organizing. And I think that was able to really help me when it came to my internship, when it came to recruiting. And another resource that I think Fame did a really good job of is not only having mentors and alumni, but we had a database of materials, which included guides on how to apply for investment banking, sample resumes of people already in the industry that we could mirror and follow as a template. So I think those were extremely paramount for any college student that's looking to break into an industry. And I think the last thing, the cherry on top was when I was a senior in college, at this point, I had finished my Wells Fargo internship. They had extended me an offer. And for my own personal reasons, there was really nothing keeping me in extracurricular activities that was keeping me at Fame because a lot of people joined Fame to get a job. But the reason I stayed back and wanted to be president for a semester after receiving my offer 
was purely because I knew that I could help out other college students that I could see had similar motivations, similar aspirations as me when I was a freshman, and it would help further develop my leadership skills. So I think that was really, really useful because it allowed me to go into an uncomfortable path to learn how to manage with teams, how to delegate activities, something I wasn't very talented at or skilled at by any means. And that led into planning the finance department graduation for my graduating year, which was spring of 2014. Definitely a very stressful environment. You know this more than most, but it was a great opportunity for me to, again, learn how to lead, learn how to delegate. And take that experience that I had from assisting in a fame investment conference and then transferring that into an actual graduation. And it was a fantastic experience because seeing a lot of people who came from similar backgrounds as me, being able to graduate, being able to walk through the stage, seeing that joy and that happiness, especially for first-generation kids, is something that I hold near and dear to me. That's great. I'm really glad that it makes a lot of sense for you that you're able to participate in a lot of activities. It sounds like the activities all played a part in getting you to the position at Wells Fargo and everything. And so while we're still on the topic of San Francisco State, before we go, one last question here before moving on to after San Francisco State, Wells Fargo, and what happened after that. So my question is around what were the best classes and professors that you had at San Francisco State while you were there? So some of my favorite classes that I had that were major specific was definitely investments with Irv Meinberger. I think that was a great class. Irv is a funny guy. He's a great teacher, great professor. And I think one thing that he did really well was to translate learning outside of the classroom. A good example of this was he taught us how to basically calculate and manage investments. But on top of that, he would show us how to actually apply it into real world cases. For example, he would show us how to analyze and basically see how profitable, what returns were in Fidelity, ETF, and mutual funds, and also included that on the final exam, which I think was a great way to translate what's happening in the textbook to what's happening outside on a day-to-day basis. Another class that I really enjoyed was Financial Institutions with Todd Feldman. Financial Institutions was a great class because it really taught me about the backbone and the structure of finance, whether it's the Federal Open Market Committee, whether it's the Fed, who the chairs are, how they are basically dictating fiscal and monetary policy, and how that affects every single American on a day-to-day basis. I think that's something, regardless of if you're a finance major or not, is so beneficial because it affects everything that we do as a country. Another class that I really enjoyed was international finance with T. Lim as well as financial statement analysis with TLIM. Both of those were really good classes because international finance taught us about the Forex, foreign exchange market, financial crises, and how those affect global markets. And then financial statement analysis is great because it's one of the hard skills that every finance major needs that's actually going to translate to on-the-job experience. How to do financial statement analysis on Excel, how to understand the income statement, the balance sheet, and the cash flow, how to take the accounting that we learned in lower division classes and then actually translate that onto a spreadsheet. So I think those were the three classes that were the most pivotal for me that really allowed me to apply myself and then challenge myself. That's great. Shout out to the professors and everything too that you just mentioned. And so now you've moved on to Wells Fargo. Can you talk about the experience being a part of the Wells Fargo Financial Analyst Program and what that was like? The Wells Fargo Financial Analyst Program is hosted now in Charlotte, North Carolina. So me along with about, I think, 
23 other analysts. Now the program is a lot larger. Each cohort has about like 40 to 60 kids. But it was based in Charlotte, North Carolina for six months where we're all working under the same roof, under supervision of different portfolio managers and executives within the bank. And we go through a very detailed underwriting training, which includes understanding all banking terms and terminology, how to do financial statement analysis, how to underwrite, how to assign risk ratings, and also how to deal with one-off situations, whether it could be on the sales side or if it's on the credit side. Along with that, we had supplementary learnings that we were assessed on, which included Excel. This included intermediate and advanced accounting, and it also included business writing and networking. So I think it was a great way for me to build a nationwide network of analysts in every state, because if you ever wanted to move to a different state or move to a different part of the bank, you knew people immediately that you could reach out to. So the network building was paramount. It was also great to be in a cohort of students and graduates that had similar backgrounds as you, but also some people that were different. While there were a lot of kids that had just finished college that were entering the program, There were people in their late 20s, early 30s, some that were parents too. So it was really a humbling experience because you see a lot of talented individuals from different backgrounds. So I think it gives you a bigger sense of conviction. And after those six months, you are basically assigned to a home office, a commercial banking office, where you would go on and support a team as an analyst. So after those six months in Charlotte, I was an analyst supporting the Oakland and Walnut Creek offices for... I think in total two years. And that was a great experience because then you're assigned a portfolio of commercial clients all around the Bay Area. Some are big names, others are smaller, but you are able to not only underwrite and look at their financial statements, you're able to actually talk to the CEOs and CFOs to understand their questions and concerns. And what I liked is that they didn't treat you just like an analyst that gets coffee for the superiors. It was a very open experience where they actually valued my opinion, valued my decision-making. So I think that's a great way for all of us as analysts to build confidence. It was definitely a little daunting at first because I was one of the youngest kids in the analyst program and definitely from one of the lower-ranked schools. But it also provided me this chip on my shoulder, this edge to, based on my prior experience, to keep going, to keep trying to learn as much as I can and really show what I'm made of. So it was a great opportunity. And I think those six months that I had in Charlotte were some of the best months of my life. That's great to hear that it was some of the best months of your life and you're able to meet people of a variety of backgrounds as well. And you mentioned that you were one of the only students from a state school. What were some of the other schools that were represented in the program that you were a part of? State schools or other universities? Other universities. I know you mentioned you're one of the few state school students that participated. What were the non-state schools that were a part of the program too that had large representation from your cohort? I think one of the other state schools that I saw have representation were in other states like Colorado State University. And the only other state school within the cohort that I saw had representation was Cal Poly San Luis Obispo. So primarily San Francisco State and Cal Poly. And I think that was maybe three kids in total. Other than that, a lot of the kids were from UCs, were from private universities. From my experience, I definitely saw San Francisco State and Cal Poly for California State University schools. Okay, that makes sense. And then you move into the position where you're now in a home office. Can you talk about that? What was it like in that position? 
the growth that you got from it and ultimately how you transitioned out of the position into what you're working in right now? Transitioning into a home office was definitely a little bit of a shock. You definitely experience growing pains because when you're in a training program where you're with other individuals in a cohort who are all learning, it feels more like a classroom. It feels really like another semester of college rather than a full-time job. And then contrast that to coming back to a home office, being in one of maybe two, if you're lucky, three analysts in the entire team, you're automatically assigned with more work. There's more administrative activities that you need to do. There's a higher workload. So being able to manage that while being able to keep a learning mindset is definitely something that's tough and takes a lot of time. It was definitely a job that I was working longer than 40 hours a week, but nothing as crazy as, let's say, investment banking, where you, it's very common to see 70 to 80 hour work weeks. So I think being able to adjust from being in really a learning environment to being in a learning slash working environment was pretty tough. At that point, it's really important to develop mentorships and to network with people within your organization to hear their perspective, because more often than not, they were in a similar position as you were, and they can provide a lot of tips, tricks, and really just understand the psychology of how to keep your mental game strong and how to be as efficient as possible, and also maximize your time outside the office, how to spend productive time on PTO, take vacations, and really enjoy yourself too, because you're more than just your job. All right, great. And then moving on from Wells Fargo, I know you're currently at FAIR and you're a risk analyst at FAIR. Can you talk a little bit about your decision to go there and what work is like for you on a day-to-day basis at FAIR? One of the reasons that I wanted to leave Wells Fargo was after two years of being in a home office combined with that training program, so two and a half years, I had to really make a decision on where I wanted to be in my career long-term. After being an analyst at Wells Fargo, you either become a portfolio manager where you're more focused on credit full-time, underwriting higher exposures with more complicated clients, or you become a relationship manager, which is more of a sales role where you're actually bringing in clients to the bank, managing existing relationships, but you also have a really strong credit background. I think that's one thing that Wells Fargo does really well is that even the relationship managers that are more focused on sales have an excellent credit background. So they're really able to make the job of a portfolio manager or an analyst much easier by understanding that financial perspective. So for me, the decision ultimately came down to, do I see myself being a portfolio manager or a senior banker moving forward? I think the answer for me personally was no. I remember going into college, I really wanted to work in a startup or a tech company because I enjoyed that entrepreneurial environment. I really enjoyed that dynamic workspace, always having something new every single day and more challenging. So combined with COVID happening, which for a lot of people, I think COVID for people who already had a job, forced them to want to stay and not look elsewhere just for that aspect of job security. And I was definitely no exception here. But I think as a year started to pass and you started to see the hiring cycle, get back to normal and opportunities reach out. That's when I saw an opening for FAIR that was on LinkedIn and they had a job opening on Greenhouse for a risk analyst. And I think one of the hardest parts about switching into tech is it's very hard to find a role that can directly translate your experience. I think when you come from banking or finance, more often than not, you'll be doing either an FP&A role, which is more accounting, forecasting, and budget projecting based, or you do investment banking and then move into a strategic finance role, 
which really blends FP&A and strategy at the same time. For me, I really wanted to do something that could take into account my previous underwriting experience from Wells Fargo. And that's where FAIR was huge, is that FAIR was hiring a risk analyst position. So a little bit on what FAIR does. FAIR is a wholesale marketplace for brick and mortar, online retailers, as well as pop-up shops. So in the traditional retail space, if you're a online retailer, brick and mortar, or a pop-up store, more often than not, you have to find your own ways of getting merchandise and products to stock your shelves. A lot of times you're going to trade shows, which only happen a couple times a year, are hard to get into. And most companies, if you don't want your owners to take the time of going to those shows, which could take a few days or a couple of weeks, they'll have to hire sales representatives who they would pay to do that job for them that are able to network with people who understand buyers in other industries. And that can be very costly. So what FAIR does is it takes all of that online, eliminates the need for the trade shows and the sales reps, and provides an online marketplace for both brands and for buyers to interact, negotiate, and purchase goods from each other all around the world, not only just in the US, but internationally. So I think that's something that's really cool is if you're a brick and mortar store on Main Street in San Francisco, and let's say you want to get products from Germany or Switzerland, you have access to brands now worldwide that can do that for you. What FAIR does to minimize that inventory risk that a lot of retail shops are scared of, especially because they want to be able to touch and feel their products, is that they offer free returns on first orders and provide their own net 60 financing for everything. Meaning that these retailers don't even have to go to another bank or another institution for credit lines. They can do it from the place that they're actually buying their merchandise from too. So it's really a one-stop shop for retailers to have access to better products, to have credit limits, and to get free returns. So it minimizes that inventory risk. On top of that, what FAIR does is they use machine learning to give product recommendations to retailers, what will most likely sell from their stores, and they will give recommendations to brands on retailers that are most likely going to buy their products. So what the risk analysts do is we help decide and evaluate what types of credit limits to give to retailers as they grow, depending on a various amount of factors, whether it could be their order history, could be where they're located, their demographic area. It can also be things like bank information, a myriad of different types of factors that we use and also help our data and machine learning team make smarter models to make better recommendations. That makes a lot of sense. Thanks for sharing that. And also a little bit of information about what FAIR does too. So just going back to the position, it sounds like there is potentially some overlap with what you're doing at Wells Fargo, since you're also doing financial analysis on the credit side. Can you talk about that, just the transferable skills and what was important that you brought over from your time at Wells Fargo that you're able to use in your current position at FAIR? I think one of the skills that was immediately transferable was a deep understanding of credit, understanding how to underwrite. I think that's something that was directly transferable because Wells spent a lot of time training us, not only just the six months that we were in Charlotte, but the supplementary workshops and training classes that we had over the course of two years. So I think what a lot of companies value is if they see a individual who's come from a training program, in their mind, that's training that they don't have to spend time and resources on to teach them. So you're able to come in on day one and provide value, which is extremely useful to a fast-growing startup. 
because for them, they don't want to spend as much time teaching. They want to spend as much time doing, especially if it's high growth. So I think that's where the experience I had at Wells Fargo was super advantageous was that coming from a training program, underwriting very high credit limits for very large companies, and then moving over to an environment where you're doing it for small companies, it provides a level of confidence and I guess security in their mind that you're going to do a good job. Awesome. Great. So that's what you're doing now and everything. So what's next for you? I know you have a few projects outside of your current position at FAIR that you want to talk about too. I know you have your podcast that's coming out as well. Can you talk a little bit about your podcast, Master of Coin, and what we could expect to find on there? Yeah, definitely. So shameless plug, I am launching a podcast called the Master of Coin podcast. For all of you Game of Thrones fans, you'll get that reference. And the goal for this show is to really demystify the world of finance and tech. As someone who started in finance and moved to tech, I want an opportunity to learn from different individuals in both industries that can share their perspectives, that can talk about ongoing trends and current events, and really see where both industries are headed to and provide a way to bridge the gap for people that are interested in learning more about both industries. It's a great way to build a network, but at the same time, it's also a great way to learn about anything that you're interested in within both topics. This could be startups, this could be venture capital, this could be hedge funds, this could be private equity, this could be cryptocurrencies. The applications are endless. And what I'm going to be doing is interviewing people in more of a casual conversation style on various topics and really get to hear their perspective. Very excited for the podcast to launch. It's something I've wanted to do for a long time. And for those of you that are interested, feel free to give me a follow on Instagram at Master of Coin Podcast, or feel free to connect with me on LinkedIn, where I will be posting articles as well as links to my podcasts at Rush Karawala. Awesome. That's great. We'll also be able to share these links with everyone as well. And so other than that, I know that you're also considering potentially graduate school. Do you want to talk about where you're at with the decision? I know that when we've talked one-on-one, you said that you're considering business school. Do you want to bring up that and, and what your thoughts are around that? And then I could provide some of my thoughts there too, if you'd like after. So I think for me, when I went into college, I always told myself like, oh, I want to get an MBA. That would be why I would want to pursue graduate school. And I really had to start asking myself why. And after researching different types of graduate school programs, especially after already having a business degree from San Francisco State, I started to realize that a lot of the reason that an MBA is very attractive is because you're given access to an astounding network of individuals, whether it be alumni, whether it be professors, whether it be companies that directly recruit from these target schools. So I think that's something that's really attractive about an MBA. The other thing that I think is very valuable about an MBA degree is especially if you want to make an industry switch or transfer industries or transition, it's very, very valuable. Especially let's say you come from a STEM background and you want to move into more of a leadership or business role. It's such a great opportunity to get that business school education while also be given access to alumni that work in various industries that you can network with. So I think for me, the decision is ultimately coming down to, am I going to be able to value that network? Can I get into a top school that would allow me to realize those results? Because coming from a business degree and background, especially with the way that technology is moving, with the way that networking is moving, I think regardless of the graduate school degree or not, you will always find a way to be successful. It just has to be what's right for your personal needs. 
That makes a lot of sense. And I would agree with you that there is a lot of overlap with the curriculum between an undergrad business degree and also the master's and business administration programs that I've attended. And even though they were different schools, I received my bachelor's from San Francisco State and then my MBA from UC Berkeley. I did notice that a lot of the concepts were similar. Of course, there are differences in the students that you're with, the professors as well, and and what their backgrounds are too. But I would agree that if you're somebody who's going in with a non-business background, there's a lot you get to gain from learning the business perspective. Because I went to school with a lot of people who were engineers or, like you said, STEM majors prior. And so they needed that backing in order for them to move from an individual contributor role to working more cross-functionally with the directors or C-suite of the companies that they worked at. So that's really important. And also the other point that you mentioned I agree with too, which was that if you're looking to pivot into something new, if you're only finance, if you have a lot of exposure to one specific track and you wanted to move into another track, sort of how I did, I, I was in financial services and then I wanted to go into consulting, I was able to do that through business school without having to try to justify or network my way into consulting, which would have been a a very different path with the types of opportunities I was able to get in consulting by making the switch. So you do get that exposure from the curriculum, from the network of people, and also from having just another brand and another name on your resume to say, hey, I'm actually looking for something new. And when you're a student, you're going to have a lot more opportunities to network with individuals who are in different fields and explore and decide what's ultimately going to be the next step for you rather than be pigeonholed or in a specific category that might be different than what you're currently in now. So I agree with what you said. Luckily, being in the Bay Area, you do have a lot of great options and you can't go wrong with some of the great programs in the area. And with that, I think that's everything. Rush, was there anything else that you wanted to share with everyone on the SFSU GatorCast and Alumni Success Series? Yeah, I would say the final thoughts that I wanted to tell everyone is the benefits of designing your environment and stacking. What I mean by this is more often than not, I feel like individual students, including myself, we can get very caught up in the details and it's very hard to create systems that allow you to network, that allow you to execute on a day-to-day basis. So I would be very conscious of the environment that you put yourself in. Be aware of the social media the media that you're consuming, whether it's television, whether it's Instagram, whether it's Facebook, whether it's Twitter, because more often than not, it can send you into this downward spiral of focusing on what other people are doing, what other people think of you, when you really need to just find ways to nurture and nourish yourself, whether it's emotionally, whether it's mentally, whether it's physically, or whether it's academically. So focus on your own learning, focus on meeting your own needs and you'll soon start to find purpose and direction on what you want to do, and it will become very, very clear. The other thing that I wanted to touch on is just the benefit of stacking and increments. I think the best way to build habits is by doing something very, very small and then stacking over time. And that's such a huge thing when it comes to networking. A perfect example is a lot of people, when it comes to joining extracurricular activities, especially because college gets busy, right? You have classes, you might be working part-time like I did, you might be even working full-time. It can be really, really tough to convince yourself to go to networking opportunities or to join extracurricular activities, especially when you don't know that there's going to be an upside in the short term. But that's where the benefits of stacking come from. As you start to go to more and more events, as you start to meet more and more people, as you start to develop more skills, 
it'll incrementally build and then the results will be exponential. Once you start to find opportunities, it'll almost feel like they magically come into your hand, but they haven't because you've created a system that's allowed you to net in all these opportunities. So to college students that feel daunting, that feel like they cannot get into a certain industry, whether it's based on their current level of skills, whether it's based on the school that they're attending, do not let that stop yourself from learning more because once you're able to incrementally stack positive habits, going to different networking events, meeting different individuals while also learning in the classroom, you're going to start to see a huge change in the way that you value education, the way that you value finding a job and the success that you'll see. That's great. I'm glad you shared that. I think it makes me think of two areas that I've been looking into or two areas that I want to comment on really quick before we go to. Number one is just around distractions and being able to create the right environment. I, I was just looking at a video recently about a dopamine detox and how there's so many programs that are designed in order to pull you in and give you a a little drip of dopamine so you feel like you're getting something out of it, but you end up not accomplishing anything. You end up still not doing the things that make you feel good or beyond just the dopamine. You, you don't end up nourishing yourself. You're, you're not getting any healthier. You're not getting any closer to completing your examination or, or whatever it is that you're actually focused on as a goal, but it's just enough to keep you going. And so this is embedded into so many things like social media, like YouTube, the internet uses it quite a bit. And a lot of the other products that people use online, like games, also use it in order to keep you immersed in their environment and just keep you doing what they want you to do. And, and on the second part that you mentioned too, around just thinking about what you need to do next and stacking and everything and how things change once you actually make a change that you're going to be doing activities that are important. It makes me think about Daring Greatly, one of my favorite books from Brene Brown and how it's a a quote from Theodore Roosevelt. And so I'll just leave us with that before we go. And it's the quote is this, it's not the critic who counts, not the man who points out how the strong man stumbles or where the doer of deeds could have done them better. The credit belongs to the man who is actually in the arena, whose face is marred by dust and sweat and blood, who strives valiantly, who errs, who comes short again and again, who spends himself in a worthy cause, who at best knows in the end the triumph of high achievement, and who at worst, if he fails, at least he fails while daring greatly, so that his place shall never be with those cold and timid souls who neither know victory nor defeat. And you, my friend, are not somebody who has been somebody who's been shy about taking your shot and going after things. And so I'm very happy for all of your success. And I know there's much more to come. And thank you so much for being here with us today on the alumni series for the SFSU GatorCast. Thanks, Rushk. Thanks, Mohammed. Been a pleasure to be on and I really appreciate being on this podcast. I think it's going to be a great resource for San Francisco State students. Great. Thanks. And that's our episode. Thanks for tuning in and go Gators. Gators.